Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, uh, where again we're looking at characters in livestock. And as always, we are very grateful to our sponsors, Harbro, for their kind support. And Harbro, of course, are suppliers and manufacturers of high-quality nutrition and nutritional advice. And the name of Alexander Og sits honorably amongst an elite few men who have turned from master stockman to master breeder. And in all the years of breeding history, there's probably only been a less than a handful of people who can state a claim like this. And However, his place in history is nailed to the master of the Aberdeen Angus breed by an international achievement that will doubtfully ever be equaled. And I have on the programme uh, today uh, his grandson, Forbes MacDonald. Uh, Forbes, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Andy. Thank you for having me. And and Forbes, he he, he liked to be known as Alec, didn't he? Uh, uh, Alec Hogg. It was Alec, uh, yeah. But it was it was spelled Alex. Yeah. It was Alec, yeah. Not to be confused. And and a little bit of history, and you've got a lot more history than me. But I've done the research. I think I first came across Alec Hogg when I was researching for the Aberdeen Angus uh, history book. And uh, he left his home in Baltimore at Glen Book. Is that Glen Bucket? 1928 and i think that's aberdeen just somewhere near afford uh, yeah it's near afford um it's just kind of around the corner from strathdawn okay. uh where baham uh, farm is okay and um yeah he he left in uh 1928 he was he was showing bulls at uh aberdeen um for the the herd at glenbucket um okay. And uh, he was spotted by, uh, well, you'll maybe go on to this, but for his first job at Dirkler, he was spotted by their manager uh, showing bulls at, uh, at Aberdeen. Right. And that's how he got going. A guy called uh, John Gall. Of course, you said he was his first job at Dirkluck, and we I know Ian Anderson was there at Dirkluck as an understockman for, for a while as well, and the great herd that they were owned by... Uh, by the Honeyman family, of course, were textile magnets, weren't they? And it was a tremendous herd, and goes, goes in history as sort of one of the greatest herds. He got some, he got some fantastic grounding there, wouldn't he, for his, his first job? And how, but I think he was twenty-five or six or something. He wasn't just straight out of school, was he? Yeah. And over his career, and this is where it becomes star-studded. Um, he brought out bulls for Dirklick, for Newhouse, for Stipe, for Castle Menzies, for Balaken and Spittle, and I think he also, uh, for a dune side as well, as well as his own herd, and so this guy, these are top herds, and uh, this guy was in demand pretty much from the get-go. He didn't, he didn't bring out a champion at dune side, um, but he brought out a champion for, uh, for Matthew Templeton, okay. um, Elegance of Charter House, uh-huh. and um, he did that as a favour because uh, Matthew Templeton, who owned the bull in partnership with Tom Brewis mm-hmm. of Eastfield, let him use their bull, Newhouse Edwin Erickson, uh-huh. on on his first cow, right. uh, which was which was Esther. Yeah. So he brought out this champion as a favour. As a favour, and and as a favour to Eastfield, he then helped to train Jimmy Minto. Uh, okay. Okay, yeah, that all makes sense. And as you said, that you know, the, the the favor he did a few favors. I think I think he knew how to call a favor in, which is you know absolutely ideal. And I think he brought out one or two. We'll maybe come on to in a minute one or two other balls that that he uh, that he brought out. But I I picked up some information. He wrote an article called "Bringing Out the Beef Bull" in the Aberdeen Angus Review in 1958. So that's you know still going back quite a while. He wouldn't be really 
overly established then, but he he was talking about what you needed to do to uh, you know to to bring out a ball. And he said, and I quote, he said, "The growing of hair is like growing a good crop of turnips. So the the hair may be there, but it will not flourish without cultivation or grooming. <laughs> do not wa- <laughs> do not wash them." He said. The most the motto is to keep grooming, and and uh, they're wise words. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm sure we'll speak about Argentina later, mm-hmm. but uh, he, uh, the peones who were the the workers and stocksmen in in the Argent that he worked with, they called him the brush. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon Phillip was on this podcast just a few weeks ago, and he and he'd worked for for, for Alec before he went off to uh, to America, and uh, he said uh, Alec always always had a brush in both hands. He said, and that was a... <laughs> there we go. And it's interesting yeah. a brush. You think nowadays everything's done with a comb. But I suppose that was all about training, training the hair up, isn't it? Yeah, well, that, that's what I'd, I'd heard that it, it stimulates the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, I know even when I've been up to Baham latterly, when they've had uh, limousines or commercial cattle, uh, mm-hmm. the, the grooming is has been is a big part of it, or was a massive part. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. When I was in the trade as well, he'd always hang a comb by the door and everybody who went past was told to go in and put it to work. And and obviously that's, uh, yeah, this is man, we're all, well, we could all learn from, put it that way. And uh, I mentioned he was at New House and I remember uh, um, Drew Adam telling me that uh, I think both he and his brother, Gavin, were at New House at different times. Uh, and then from not sure how long he was there at New House, but again, he'd, he'd have some good grounding, good training there in the not just the producing side of it, of course, the breeding side of it as well, along with uh, under under Bob Adam. And then he went to Stipe Grange, which would be for the car magnet, Sir William Roots, who again, Stipe went on to be a fantastic uh, herd. And I'm not sure if he went to Stipe Grange full-time or whether he just bought the bulls out there. You, you, do you know that one, Forbes? No, no, he was full-time at uh, the Roots. Mm-hmm. At, yeah. Um, and I think he had one, I think he brought out one champion, Stipe Peregrine, I think. Okay. Um and uh, yeah, yeah, he um, he had a fair bit of success there. He had uh, um, for two years he had the champion group of three bulls. Um, they were all sired by Er Villax of Harveston. Okay, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so he had yeah, he had a lot of a fair bit of success there. Mm-hmm. And as I said, he'd, he'd, he'd learn a little bit. Again, there uh, there was some good stockman type. William Roots was renowned for for putting his money behind his judgment, and he did pay a lot of money for some of his cows and for some of his bulls as well. So he'd have some decent stock to work with. But then in 1962, and as I said, to turn from master groomer to master breeder, he started his own herd, didn't he? Yeah, well, he worked for Robin Murray at uh, Spitfall, and which was near bigger, and um, and then he went. Uh, then they got a small holding called Eastfield, um, which was near Spittal. And uh, his first calf was born from there. Um, and it was, they were going to obviously call the prefix Eastfield, but there was another quite well-known herd <laughs> by the name of Eastfield. So yeah. it was, uh, with the herd name was Tinto. And his first calf was Edwin of Tinto. Okay. Um, and that was out of Esther. I can tell you the story about Esther, mm-hmm. uh, which he got from uh, Honeyman. His, his, and, his, uh, his first cow, that's right. Yeah, so so um, he'd obviously, that he'd, he'd given up being a stocksman, if you like. Uh, Spittle was his last job, and uh, he'd phoned um, Mr. Honeyman to, to see if he could uh, 
go and acquire an old cow um you know to, to start the herd a well-bred old cow and uh, um he was welcomed obviously onto the place and uh, um he'd spotted one and he'd said to uh, honeyman i'm keen on this cow and he'd said look uh, og i am not selling you that cow and he was very disappointed and uh, but honeyman kept walking and he came to the box of esther and uh, alec og had been offered or had been given the chance to get involved at uh, uh, samuel at, at witch cross okay another great herd from an entrepreneur of course uh, but granite his his wife wouldn't move to england <laughs> so but he tried to buy esther for samuel and he'd offered nine thousand guineas and um anyway they came to the box and uh honeyman had said to uh alec he said i'm gonna sell you uh esther <laughs> and alec, alec had said well I can't afford that. Aye, <laughs> and he says, "Well, what can you afford?" And well, he said nothing because you know. And he said, "Can you afford two hundred guineas?" So he didn't give her. He didn't. He wasn't given Esther, but it was a tremendous uh, <laughs> gesture. And I suppose it it went back to the probably the loyalty he had to, you know, from when he was a cattleman there. Okay. <laughs> And uh, and she went and on. Esther, she, Esther went she on, of course, to be the stuff of legends, didn't she? I mean, we, well, we, we, she bred, yeah. Well, she bred. Um, she bred Edmund of Tinto. There's one at six thousand Emperor. Yes, and that was bought by Darkler. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he bred a bull at fifteen thousand for Darkler. So they um, bought their own yeah. breeding back. What was he by uh, Forbes? Do you know. I'm, I would guess he would be buying new house Edwin Erickson, okay. but I'm, I'm guessing he'd be either by that bull or Pedora's Prince of Hungerford, mm -hmm. which was Baham's first stock bull, which they shared with Candy Craig. Okay. And there was, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of sharing with Candy Craig. And again, didn't he bring out bulls for Candy Craig? I'd be right in thinking, didn't he bring out um, the £33,000 bull? I seem to remember his name. No, no. That that was a guy, Gaul, that that was there okay. um, that brought out that bull. But... Uh, they obviously were very close in distance to Candy Craig, so they they worked closely together. They had a one third share of uh, Pedora's Prince uh, of Hungerford, and so Candy Craig had obviously the largest share. Okay. Well, yes, for one cow, that's, that's still a still a, well, a, a lot of lot of bull for one cow. Well, that's what I think. That's that, that's one of the things I think is amazing about the story, like the jeopardy. You know, they must they must have backed his judgment to, to be able to do it because mm -hmm. they only had seven cows mm -hmm. and their share was four and a half thousand well that's quite risky <laughs> you know you really need to know what you're doing yeah um, and that's that's one of the things i've i found fascinating about it okay and just just um bring me up to the speed with the geography because obviously you went to bukam and then changed herd so how how and when did that that happen Let's just... it was 58 andy actually okay. yeah so. That was 58. So they moved from Eastfield to Baham in 58 with with Esther. Edwin of Tinto was a calf at foot. And, well, Gordon Phillips said in his podcast that they, you know, he helped bringing out uh, Edwin of Tinto from Baham, you know, to go to Perth. So, um, yeah, they just, not a lot of money. So they, yeah, they took a fair... Um, a fair chance okay and Bukham would be the home farm or would that be a, a, a tenanted farm i just said why, why not far from where he was born i guess so why why back there 
It was Fred McGregor, Fred McGregor, who had the Colhoney Inn, which he later went on to share the steer reunion um, with to win the Scottish National Fat Stock Show. Mm-hmm. He he let uh, Alec Hogg know that uh, Baham was coming up for for rent, and apparently he'd said uh, it's just steens and rabbits. So he, <laughs> so he wasn't he wasn't that interested at the start, but. Uh, no, so they, they they took the tenancy there from uh, Wallace of Candy Craig. It was a pig farm. Okay, they, they were the landowner. Oh, I see. Okay, Wallace of Candy Craig had thousands, you know, thousands of acres up there. They still they've still got Candy Craig and mm. uh, various other bits of land up there. Yeah. Okay, and let's just go through this E, e family, of course. And I mean, I assume he may have brought other females in, but the E family are the one that stands out. And and you mentioned Emperor, and then we have a a bull Ernest that went went to Haymount and bred extremely well for them, I think. And then another one uh, endowment that went to Idvis. So I mean, these things were wanted by everybody, weren't they? Ernest was out of a female called Eri. Uh, that was bought at the the, the Darklick reduction sale okay. uh, for four hundred and fifty guineas, and she was a slightly uh, growthier type of female. Um, so she bred Ernest. She also bred Easel, who was a champion they had in sixty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were they were very disappointed about Ernest. He he was regarded as the best bull bred at Baham, mm. and he, he then went to Haymount, mm. and he made three thousand. But you know, those were the times where there was, you know, crazy prices about, sure. and um, uh, he was a big pick, and uh, um, they were very disappointed. He ended up being second in his class, but he made three thousand guineas. Mm. So, but more to the uh, point, but, he ended up breeding, didn't he? I've seen some of the stuff that, that, that he bred at Haymount, and uh, and uh, yeah, he was a breeder. Yeah, he apparently bred bred really well. Um, yeah, and I think he would have had a, a wee bit of, of size about him as well, about being out of Eri. That wee bit bigger, and and again, this E family from Dirkluck would all originally all go back to the same the same E's, I guess, and and uh, and then other bookland animals. We've got Escort, Eturian, Easel, Evorum, Evolver, Euromar, and they were all all those bulls I've just mentioned. I think that six or seven of them were all in the championships in in Perth, and all all the E's pretty much. It's uh, that's some record. Yeah, they had a they had a tremendous run, uh, you know. For, especially laterally, I think um, Pedora's Prince of Hungerford bred really well, and he bred the top price bull, um, which was eleven thousand guineas. Okay, uh, Ed, Edvent. He originally went uh, to Perth, and uh, he made two hundred guineas, <laughs> and he was sold to a blackfish sheep breeder. I'm not sure uh, who who that was, but. Um, and then in the month of July, uh, they got a letter from McDonald Fraser to say the bull, bull was slow at working. And uh, I think I think Alec had been out in the Argentine, but he came back and he saw the bull on the farm and he nearly ran to Perth to pay the money back. And uh, they took him home in November, put him back to Perth. He couldn't compete for the championship, but he won a first prize because he was 22 months old. Okay. And he made eleven thousand guineas. <laughs> Who too? Me, um, Kloss, Sperling, Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay, across the water at that time. I mean, some of the 
we'll, we'll, we're going to step back a little bit anyway. So some of these champions, as you said, would be later on, 68 and 69, obviously post foot and mouth when the export market had very much dried up and the trade in itself had, had dropped to, had dropped back to something a little bit more realistic. But we just stepped back a little bit earlier and he brought out the, the, the 40,000 guinea bull Erisco of Bellakin. And this is where we go on to sort of talk about this, the, the way your grandfather stamped his mark in history. He brought out... 40,000 Erisco of Bellakin, of course, was owned by Elizabeth Honeyman, the herd was, which was... Uh... Uncle Charlie uh, uh, said that he didn't ask, actually bring out Erisco of Bellakin. Okay. But he, um, he, he advised Miss Honeyman, who had Bellakin, to buy the father. And the father made, I think, 18,000. And um, um, Honeyman came looking... Uh, and it, it, for for Alec Og, and he said, "Og, what, you know, he wasn't happy." <laughs> he says, "I can't afford that bull," but he, he could have bought all the bulls and passed twice over. Yeah. And um, uh, and Alec had said, "Well, I think that bull would do well for you." And well, he obviously ended up paying the check, and then that bull bred um, the forty thousand guinea bull. So that was his involvement in it. Okay, and, uh, I think that was one of the things about him from. He, he seemed to pass on knowledge and 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 and, and help other people. Mm. I think just because he was such a an enthusiast, yeah. more than anything. Yeah, Arisco of Belican, of course, went on to win you know, Perth in February uh, nineteen sixty five, and then you you touched on just now. Alec went to Argentina, back to Argentina, I would say, because I think he, in fact, he was a regular visitor to uh, Argentina, wasn't he? I think in all he went there. 15 times, did you tell me, from uh, 1961 to 1975? That's like pretty much having a season ticket. I'm not quite sure the exact circumstances, but I think he would uh, travel with a boatload of bulls, perhaps for Jimmy Schofield or, or one of the other exporters and originally, and, uh, and work at Palermo's show. And uh, Rolf Furpo took a, took a shine to him and recognised his talents, and uh, they struck up a friendship, and, and he did a lot of work uh, bringing bulls out for Furpo at, uh, at Palermo. Yeah, well, he, I think he went back. Uh, he, he went back every year for I, I would I think about ten years. Uh-huh. I think he had seven championships really? um, out there, and uh, some of the photos of the of the bulls was amazing. Mm-hmm. The hair on them, and uh, um, so no, he had great success. And um, he he basically he went out and he selected bulls early on. I think at the beginning he. He went out for quite a long period, three or four months. Mm-hmm. But in in latter years, the the stocksmen, the pureies, and and you know the people on, the, they then learnt you know what was going on, so they could do more of the work ahead. Sure. Um. Uh, but uh, no, I think he was uh, he, he was quite hard on them too. You know, he was a uh, he he didn't mess about. He he he, he gave them strict orders. Um, my mum said that he had a knife pulled on him by one of the peonies <laughs> in the first year. Well. And he um, he just said, look, put that away and don't be so silly. And he never said to Farco hey. or any of you. So he gained a lot of respect from the guys by doing that. And, uh, <laughs> I think he was quite, and, uh, quite a taskmaster by what Gordon Phillips said as well. He was quite a taskmaster, I think. he'd wanted Yeah, well, I picked that up from, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah. if I could just mention, you know, uh, Furpo is another one I would love to, to do a profile on at some stage. But on the Estancia Ranch back then, they sold a 1,000 bulls a year, a 1,000 bulls a year. And in all, there was something like 15,000 head of cattle there, including 3,000 pure Angus breeding females. I mean, that's some outfit. 
it's a different world, really, isn't it? To to hear. I, I remember uh, Charlie, Uncle Charlie, saying that uh, Alec had come back from the Argentine and said, "Right, I want to get us. I, I want us to get horses to round up the cattle." <laughs> and Charlie said, "Don't be so stupid." <laughs> but I, that was part of the, you know, the kind of the, the ranching idea you know i do remember charlie telling me when i spoke to him a while ago now that uh, he said alex would have happily stayed in the argentine but it was his wife who wasn't prepared to she didn't want to go to english she didn't want to go to argentine either by the sound of it yeah well uh, it, it sounds it sounds that's two stories that seem to to fit and it sounds like his interest in the cattle would have pretty much taken him anywhere and it wasn't really about the money either mm -hmm. it was just uh, enthusiasm really it sounds like Mm -hmm. And another man I'd like to speak to at some stage is Norman Cato, and I think he was pally with Norman Cato, and Norman went to Argentine with him, and of course he's still there, and he's, you know, he's very much involved in the in the Angus breed over there. Well, my mum and dad went out to um, Palermo with Edwin Galanders had a tour, mm -hmm. and Gordon Phillip, I think, actually ran the tour, and Norman Cato was judging Palermo, and he mentioned... Alec Ogg, um in his in his you know on the microphone so he was another person that that he obviously encouraged and uh, um, helped get into the the business. Yeah, yeah, and say so, you know a man still is involved in it, and I know he's been back over over Scotland judging a few times since, and hopefully somebody will get to talk to one of the days. And so we we move on now. This is now we've got Perth with a champion under your belt. He then went to Palermo that same year and had the champion ball at Palermo. Uh, and then um, he got got home, I guess, and got a, got a phone call from uh, Lester Leachman inviting him to Montana to help prepare the the team of bulls for the Chicago International in the same year. Well, you tell the story on that one. I I know that the bull was called called Anconi and Peerless, um, and uh, um, he went he went to the USA for the for one year. Um, he, I think he enjoyed. Um, Argentina experience more uh, is 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 what I've heard, um, but uh, no, it, he he when when he was in uh, America, um, Pedora's, which was their stock bull at the time, he was offered forty thousand for Pedora's in the Argentine, and he was offered a hundred thousand in America by a guy called Paul Benshaw. Okay, when he was bringing out in Anconi and Peerless, and when he got back. He'd found out that the Wallaces had sold the bull for eighteen thousand. Okay, because they only got a, he'd only got a share in him. <laughs> Aye, so uh, that 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 was a that was a quite a story. But in in that in that time frame, I suppose what I'm getting to, Anconian and Peerless did go on and become um, supreme champion at the international. Didn't yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, he he brought out the champion uh, in the, the one year that he was there, yeah. So as I alluded to, to begin, begin with a man, a, a feat that will never be equal to somebody bringing out the bringing out the champion at three biggest bulls, Angus bull sales in the world at Perth and Palermo and Chicago, all within one year. And that, that'll never, that one will never be equal, I don't think. Well, it's it's incredible achievement. And, um, you know, I think uh, absolutely, Andy, yeah. I think I'm right in thinking as well. He was in, um, well, he was in the US as well. Maybe not that time, at another time, he got to work with Arisco of Belkin, who'd who'd, uh, who'd been bought by Blackwatch Farms out there, and um, I think he got a chance to bring him out in in Chicago again. But I couldn't tell you exactly the year on that. I'm not sure, Andy, about that. No. So of course he had a, he had a brother, um, Gavin Og, who was at Harveston, who would be Gavin would be older, would he? The oldest was uh, Charles. 
and he died. Um, he was uh, uh, he was kicked by a horse, and he died when he was twenty four. Oh uh, penicillin would have saved him apparently. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, Alec was the oldest, and and the next oldest oldest was Gavin. Okay. Youngest was Jenny Og, and. Um, but yeah, Alec was the oldest and Gavin was the next oldest. I'm going to say Gavin was at Harvest and another herd that we've profiled on this is some podcast and another stuff of legends. And again, he would uh, he would earn a, he would learn a lot there, wouldn't he? And I think he went to Newhouse. And I, I'm not sure whether Alec maybe went to Newhouse before him or after him. But then Gavin also had his own his own herd, didn't he? Yeah, uh, Gavin was at the Carrick in Kerry Muir, mm -hmm. and. Um, but uh, Alec was at Newhouse um, when the herd was established. He, he he was working there when the herd was established. Okay. But they, they both brought out five champions at Perth. Right. They both. Yeah. Those are the numbers I was going to come on to to say uh, how many how many champions that, uh, that Alec had in his hands through Perth. So we're saying they both brought out five. Okay, that's a bit of brotherly rivalry there then. To, nice to do. Went both ways. And he judged the Highland, I think, in 67. I guess he judged a lot of places. Did he ever judge in, in the Argentine? I'm not sure. I, I know that he judged Smithfield, hmm. and he picked a Charlotte <laughs> as champion. Yeah. <laughs> and Buchanan Heard dispersed in, in 1984. And by then, by the looks of things, there was quite a lot of Canadian blood. I think he got, got involved in some of the cows that came from came from Canada to um to Tangiers. Uh, uh so he saw he saw the change in the breed and, and, and was looking forward. The first import was a bull called Blackman, uh, G V I D and he was uh, in his pedigree was a Canadian Colossus. Um okay. and he was shared with Ralph Erpo. Right. Um and he was he was quite an extreme bull apparently. He was shared uh, with Ralph Erpo, okay, so that'd be semen semen rights across the water, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if they actually ever got any back because he was worked quite hard and uh, but uh, he yeah he was a completely different type. Uh, I don't think Alec really took to the the, the, the that bigger change. No. Um, but uh, so that that was Blackman, and then uh, and it, it came from um, uh, a man called Gothel Reich in uh, Greenvale. Uh, Alberta, um, which is the right card now, I think, of Angus, or or, or, or maybe you know they're, they're maybe the, the more up to date version. Mm -hmm. And then they brought in a bull. Charlie phoned Gothel Reich, and um, he he put over a bull called GB Winton, and he was sold at the dispersal, I think, for four thousand four hundred. Okay. And then he was a champion at the Royal Show for. Was a farmer in Orkney bought him and then took him all the way to the Royal Show and he was champion. Oh yes, I know that story. That was um, Ronald Sinclair and uh, Stuart Wood, I think. I've got a photograph of him somewhere. Um, but he was less. He he wasn't quite as extreme as Blackman, but he he bred okay, I think. Okay. And I'm right in thinking Charlie worked with Angus as well. I think uh, he he tried Kianinas as well with the Angus to try and get size in and was. I think he he tried. To, for different types of breed improvement, but uh, um, by that time the Angus weren't really doing much, and uh, I think it was a correct decision to disperse the herd, mm. and because uh, um, there was still plenty of interest, and 
Um, well, you're talking yeah. Newhouse and a lot of others, of course, went down, went out as well. Around about that time, the Charolais was coming in too, and it was all changed, wasn't it? I'm sure that's a regular discussion we've again had on this podcast, how they fell from grace, and then certain people put a lifetime's work into bringing them back to what they are today, and uh, we're ever grateful for that. Uh, and, and Charlie worked with Lemisons, would I be right? Yeah, well, um, he they had commercial cattle uh, um, for a start, Aberdeen Angus across Frisians, and then he moved on to more uh, limousine in the, the commercial females, and then he started a pedigree herd mm. with his son Keith, and um, the he bought a female out of Thainston, 450 guineas, Muirwood Ole, and she bred uh, Baham Cosmonaut for 6,200, and Dazzler for 6,800, but he, he, he knew the pedigree and um, they had they had good success at Thainston, and the bulls were brought out in sensible condition. And um, they 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 concentrate now more on commercial cattle. Okay. And Keith um, specialises in selling heifers with calves at foot, and they they do really well with that. Okay, and still under the Baham prefix. Yeah, there's still it's still a Baham farm. Yeah, and evidently, of course, they owe their skills to your your grandfather, who was uh, was an incredible man that uh, they must have been proud of. I think um, he was also, you know, he was obviously involved in uh, cattle and was a specialist cattle breeder and and showman. But he was supposed to be an incredible worker as well, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so he was an all rounder as 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 much as anything. Yeah, an incredible story of an incredible man, really, and there'll still be some. Older generation listening to this podcast that will remember the name of Alec Og and uh, I did a series a while ago called Legendary Cattlemen and uh, I think I probably should have included him in that one but certainly uh, Alec Og for those who knew him would have been a, a great character in livestock and, and it's lovely to hear that story yeah Forbes well thanks Andy thanks for having me and I hope it uh, inspires other people I think it was an incredible achievement what what he achieved and and with Charlie Latt as well. Mm-hmm. And there are some youngsters around there now that have started life as stockmen and doing very well on their own as well. And I'm sure there are people out there looking to emulate that story. But uh, to, to jump the fence like that and become a master breeder is uh, is, is no easy thing to do. And uh, we wish wish everyone well. Thanks, Andy. Okay. Thanks. All right. Cheers, Bob. Thanks very much. See you now. Thank you for listening to this week's Top Lines and Tales, and I hope you enjoyed that story of a dedicated and professional and passionate man in amongst the livestock. And don't forget, as always, we are sponsored by Harbro, who are manufacturers and suppliers of uh, high-quality nutrition and nutritional advice. And uh, during these times of spiraling input cost and uncertainty in the market there, why not uh, give your local Harbro representative a call or check out Harbro on Harbro.com co.uk to see how they can help you in this in this current climate and of course you can find them on facebook and while on the subject of facebook you'll find uh, top lines and tales facebook page and this week we have some excellent photographs that forbes has supplied me with of pictures of those great days of alec og uh, down there in palermo and various other places so uh, don't forget to tune into our facebook page <laughs>